You're listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Welcome to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Its purpose is to look into the horror films, dissecting them one screen legend and franchise at a time. This podcast is going to be dedicated to exploring the Alien franchise a little bit more. Uh, Some of our listeners may have already checked out our podcast on Alien by Ridley Scott, the one that started it all. Um, Yeah, so our podcast discussion for this episode is going to be on Aliens, which was the first of the sequels, of which there have been many, to the Alien franchise, and at this time it was heralded by James Cameron. In order to do this, we need a team of horror aficionados who will form the surgical team each episode. So let me introduce you. First up is your lead host, Paul Farrell, which I'm grateful to say I'm not actually going to be the lead <laughs> surgeon this time. I'm going to be accompanied by Anthony Yee, Hello. who will be the lead surgeon for this uh, instance, and I am going to be on hand as your... Colour man. Sur- surgical technician. Filler. Filler. Commentary. Fluffer. Commentary. Filler yeah. um, so, as he frantically goes through his Wikipedia notes. <laughs> he's just downloaded uh, no, no, don't give, don't give away the game. That's a, <laughs> we, we, hours, hours of intensive hours of research, research goes research. into these podcasts. Um, there's, I mean, part of the reason that I'm stepping aside is because Aliens technically isn't a horror film. Um, but and most it, importantly, he's really high. And I'm really high. I've been smoking um, some unknown substances for the last, uh, what, hour and a bit? Hour and a bit. Hour and a bit. Um, so I kind of need my, uh, my dutiful uh, assistant... To uh, take the lead and uh, what did he just call it? A dutiful assistant. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah. So, but mainly because also um, you, Anthony, um, as has been declared on previous podcasts, um, have a, a huge love for science fiction and uh, in film as well. And this is probably up there as one of the pinnacle science fiction films. It is. It is, it, is, it is a major influence in my life. It was a big turning point in my life when I saw this film for the first time. As a teenager in the movie theatres, my older cousin David raved all about it, so he kind of set it up for me. But it was one of those things where the setup was beneath expectation. It wasn't, mm. he, didn't, he didn't oversell it. I was like, oh my God, it's even better than what he described. <laughs> what an amazing film. It's also the only time Star Wars I've seen seven times in cinemas. Mm-hmm. This one I saw four times, and that's the second most. Right, wow. Lord of the Rings I've seen twice three times in the cinemas but I couldn't break the fourth barrier with Lord of the Rings this one I saw four times wow so, and this is a big deal when you go to the cinema because these days you see the movie once it comes out on DVD Blu-ray download yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever absolutely um, loved it um, but throw the question to you that you threw the question to me last time yeah yeah go on. what was your first impression how did Aliens come onto your radar I'm still trying to I'm still trying to think that one through because I, I feel it I think we had this discussion on, on the last podcast, but I think it's similar to when I first discovered the likes of Robocop and Predator and those kind of movies. So uh, those were the, the, the those are classic 80s films. Yeah. That was a big part of your childhood because you're yeah. at that age where you're between, mm. I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. And films really taking hold of you now at this point, yes? Yes, by that point, yeah. I'm suddenly kind of really aware that the magic the film can yeah. transcend yeah, yeah, <laughs> into yeah. your living room or wherever you are yeah. when you're watching these things. Um, yeah, and 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 a lot of the uh, see, I don't, I wouldn't call myself an action fan mm-hmm. um, at all, action horror film or action film fan in general. Um, 
but you know when you a lot my cousins I watched a lot of these things with my cousins and my brother and that's a very kind of male skewed dynamic there um, and you kind of tend to lean towards the action kind of orientated movies so a lot of that stuff was Arnie Arnie Schwarzenegger through and through was, was Claude, massive massive the, yeah. the Barbarian anything like that Jean-Claude Van Damme kind of stuff you know? essentially it was him and Sylvester Stallone yeah and and Van Damme sort of the third yeah, yeah. I'm a don't forget me um, yeah. Which apparently, though, since revealed, that wasn't as big a deal to them as it was to us because we always assumed they were like frenemies. Yeah, yeah. But they, they really were because yeah. they were they were both physically big guys, mm. and that was that's the only way you could be an action hero in the eighties. Yeah, you're a big dude. I guess Bruce Willis kind of changed that up with Die Hard. Yes, he was, a, he was a funny guy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, so this has gone off on a bit of a tangent. But so no, no, it's, 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 it's it, yes, you're right, tangent, mm. but. Worth it because you know the, we're we're trying to well, put aliens in the middle of that context. kind of context. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. So, um, yeah, so look, that was kind of, and I'm pretty sure that Aliens would have been one of the films I would have watched during that kind of period of my life yeah. with my cousins and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and as such, and don't don't scowl at me with this, but as such, I didn't really rate it that highly oh, right. at the time. Mm-hmm. That's not to say I thought it was a shit film. Mm-hmm. I have to really restress that. Yeah. But to me, it was part of the the, the conveyor belt of action yeah. films that I was watching at very the time. Very 80s oriented, very yeah. uh, pro-gun, Yes. Uh, very Reaganomics in, in, in tone, for want of a better word. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it was America in the 80s. Exactly. So, like, But I have since like appreciated it more. Mm. And I probably have watched it... Well, I haven't probably. I have watched it on numerous occasions now mm. since then, which to me is a testament to a good film yeah. that if it warrants repeat viewing, yes. um, of, of which I definitely have done. Um, so yeah, I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna leave my thoughts there for now. <laughs> okay, all right, delve so, into the plot. But. All right, let's get into the plot. So the interesting thing for me, as I mentioned in the last podcast, this is my first foray into the alien world. Mm. So I didn't know anything about the first film when I saw oh, this that's particular right. film. Yeah. So um, that sort of really yeah the way I saw the, my lens my viewing of it all was really really interesting because I'm, I'm trying to make up stuff when I saw it I'm trying to figure yeah. out stuff yeah and it all comes together when I saw the alien film on VHS I think a few months later yeah anyway yeah. so we're open up uh, Ellen Ripley Ripley that's her name Ellen Ripley it starts off with an opening shot um, mournful strings that's uh, right and it's her escape pod from the Nostromo floating through space and it's quite a beautiful shot, actually, because it's a big star field. Yes. Very dense. There's a little spaceship flies through. And then it gets picked up by a, what was since revealed as a salvage vessel. Yes. So she gets found. She's been drifting in space for 57 years. And uh, amazing opening shot where this thing burns through the door. Yes. It falls, goes clunk. And then this big robotic arm comes in and fires this really cool Pink Floyd blue laser light, mm. which is a scanner. And this yes. looks really cool. And then it, that scans the room, comes out, three guys walk in, yeah. find uh, Sigourney, uh, Ellen Ripley, unconscious in her little uh, hypersleep capsule yep. with a cat, and they go, oh, she's alive, that's our salvage boys. Yes. Which at the time made me think, well, you're in the middle of space. <laughs> you know, yeah, technically if she's alive, I guess you can't salvage it, but all you have to do is switch off the machine. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> and you just, you know... Well, it's expensive, actually. A massive insight to your personality. I know. Well, just think, guys, guys, <laughs> if you're going to assume anybody who's, who they think they can get away with it, assume the worst of humanity. <laughs> so that's what I think. So that's the opening shot. Yeah. So, like, what what struck me here was, um, and something James Cameron does a lot in 
in the success of this movie is keeping the kind of the best quality moments of the original and transferring it across into into this film. Mm. Um, a case in point, it's a small one, but a case in point here is there's no sign of life. Like, yes, uh, Ellen's dormant, but that's similar to the first one. Mm. We, see a mach- we see machines go into action before we see any signs of humanity, and this is the same kind of case in point here. It's an underlying theme that transcends across all of the Alien franchises. Yeah. Um, of machine, man alien life form um, and how the three kind of merge together to kind of create this uh, universe that we're 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 watching Um, and I thought that was a really cool moment um, within it it's beautiful beautiful design beautiful sound which is again something you have in common with the first film the sound design is amazing yeah but you're right there's a lot of iconic cool elements in this film which I thought were original (laughs) until I saw him rip it off from uh, Ridley Scott's Alien The, the machine is one yes Motion trackers. Yes. Flamethrowers. Oh, yes. Yeah, all those, like, it's in the original film. What the fuck? <laughs> um, yeah, so, and aliens and, and robots. Sorry, is what I meant to say. Is the other one. The robot thing was kind of, like, cool. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, anyway, so we, we sort of dissolved Ripley. She's on a space station orbiting Earth called Gateway. Good name for a space station. <laughs> um, she wakes up. She meets um, the dude from Mad About You. Paul Reiser. Paul Reiser. Yeah. Who, at the time... I think Mad About You is just about to kick off. Right. So for me, it was always like, hey, it's a Mad About You guy. For me, um, it was the guy from My Two Dads. Oh, yeah. They, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's a show we should talk about. Anyway. <laughs> so so, yeah. so anyway, he wakes her up, and that's when he reveals uh, she's been asleep for quite a while. Oh, and Beverly Hills Cop. Sorry. Yes, that's right. Sorry. The classic line, this is in my office. Yeah. Good line. <laughs> sorry, sorry. So, um, so yeah, they, they have a bit of a chat in hospital. She wakes up. They mm. introduce her to a cat. Jonesy. Jones. Jonesy the cat. And then he tells her, you've been asleep for 57 years. And she has a freak out moment. Yes. And then her chest almost explodes with an alien. Yes. Cut to, it was a dream all along. Oh, Carrie. Oh, man. So, and it was interesting, this particular point, the alien pushes through her chest, which is clearly plastic. Yes. But doesn't actually burst through. No. Which was a very interesting choice to make. Do you think? Yes. Uh, Well, Yes. Interesting in the sense that I'm trying to figure out where you're going with that because for me it's the I'm gonna when you're dreaming and you're gonna fall off the edge of the cliff but you don't actually hit the bottom right moment. From a storytelling point of view though, yeah. A firstly, the gore would have pushed it into a different rating, but sure, you didn't have to do it. You implied it as soon as you saw it come out, it ah, yeah. her skin. It's really horrific. Yeah. But you don't see it. So, but at, at that to me again, it's the thing of the, the jaw thing. You don't show them. Yes. You just imply it. And yes. Again, I had no idea that that's what this fucking thing does because this is the first time I've seen the film. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. see the thing pushing out of her chest is like, oh, fuck, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and certain things that other kids had sort of said in passing who'd seen the film before when I was growing up kind of made sense. I was like, oh, that sort of rings a bell. Mm. It sits inside your gut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So uh, then she goes to uh, a hearing because she's the sole survivor of a ship of the Nostromo that blew up yeah so I just wanted to touch base on what you were saying about her being asleep for 57 years and freaking out because mm. uh, at the end of Alien mm. she puts herself into the hyper capsule yes. with the intent that she's going to wake up within yeah a year or so or yeah. less than that less than that it was a few months yeah so she's expecting to be picked up way sooner yes. than that and she actually says with any luck, I should be picked up. Yes. And what has happened is that she didn't have any luck. She passed right through the equivalent of a space shipping lane. And yes. she just passed right through it. Yeah. So I love the idea of a spaceship going, what's that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> and she just keeps on sailing by. So she's been unlucky. 
Yes. Yeah, because she was, she was kind of gambling on, well, hello. Yeah, yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. So she's miscalculated. And for, in the director's cut, you can see the emotional impact of that decision or that, that thing happening to her. Yes. It's because she had a daughter. Yes, that's right. Uh, but she's not revealed in this particular cut, the first cinematic cut. Uh, so anyway, you can cool yeah. hearing or... She has a hearing because yeah. she's the sole survivor of the Nostromo. Yep. And from the, the corporate point of view, she's blown up that ship. Yes. Um, and they're like, well, a lot of money. <laughs> and they hear a story saying, well, we, we, we got woke up early, we went down to a planet, there was an alien, and apparently, according to their corporate um, execs, yeah. there's no evidence whatsoever to corroborate her story. Some evidence, they say. Yeah, yeah. But, all the, but they can't determine anything, anything that she said is true. Yes. Um, which, looking back, stepping back, because Ash was an android who was a plant from the, um, the corporation itself. The company, they call it the company. Yeah. Uh, you think she would have been, like, a lot more angrier than she was. Yeah. Because <laughs> she seemed upset, but she seemed more upset when she finds out, because she says, your evidence, go to that moon. Yes. And then she finds out they've been on that moon for quite a while now, establishing a colony. Yeah. Uh, and she freaks out, thinking, well, they're going to die. Yeah. Um, which, again, made me think, well, why would you think that? Because it's a big moon, so <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean that their colony is going to be anywhere near where that spaceship was. Yeah. Um, secondly, if she thinks it's a cover-up, surely they... Oh, my, my first thought would have been they, they accepted her story as truth. They don't tell to her face for whatever reason. Yeah. And they go in and nuke the site or something. I don't know. Yes. But as it is revealed, again, in the director's cut, but not in this cut, is actually they didn't know about this alien spaceship. Yes. For some reason. And it is physically a few miles away from the camp. Yes. Um, and somebody from the corporation tells them to go check it out. Yes. Uh, which we'll talk about a bit in a bit. Yeah, so, yeah, it's an interesting point, though, isn't it? Because it, to me, that smacks of... Um, they obviously didn't kind of do a lot of detail work when they went and landed on the, on the moon to <laughs> kind of survey it and go... So what did they judge that on? Oh, we'll just send some people there. Well, is it, I mean, essentially, Alien Covenant does a very similar thing. The, the start of that movie is that they land on a moon, moon mm. or a planet, planet. Um, and uh, it's a group of people that haven't been there before. Yeah. Uh, and it's, there's that sense that no one has been there before. Mm. Or, you know, so it's like, do they just go, oh, just let's try that way. Yeah, so life. <laughs> my only thing, if you so, were saying to me, is it the right hand not talking to the left hand? If it's typical bureaucracy, yeah, sure. I would accept that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because, you know, hey. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's all weird. But her first reaction instantly is that those people are in trouble. Yeah. Not taking into account they've been there for a little while. Yes. And if they were in trouble, you think they would have been in trouble. We've heard about it, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so dissolve to her, and she's in an apartment block. Yes. And she's smoking a cigarette because it's the 80s. Yeah, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and Carter Burke, uh, Paul Reiser, mad about you guy, knocks on the door saying, hey, we, um, we tried, uh, weirdly enough, tried contacting that colony who's living on the planet that you found and we've lost all contact with them. Yeah. And she slams the door in their face. But in the end, though, they knock on the door and, and have a word with her saying, look, something's, something's happened to that place. They're not talking to yes. us. It could be a downed antenna. It could be communication problems. We're going to take a squad of Marines out there. Yes. And just in case what you said happens to be true, <laughs> uh, we want you there as an advisor. And she's like, fuck you, yeah. suck my dick. All words to that effect. Yes. Then she has a nightmare. Yes. Which you never see. In the book, you actually, the book describes the nightmare. Okay. But it just cuts to her waking up in the movie from the nightmare. Yes. And, and all the extra director's cuts, 
they never shot it. Right. So they just, again, it's an interesting piece of storytelling. They just got the result of her waking up in a cold sweat. Yes. Uh, which apparently she's been doing every night. Yeah, because Paul Reiser comments on that too. Her psych evaluation. Yeah, yeah. Which he was not, he was not supposed to see. No. That's because it's an evil corporation. Yes. Um, and so she agrees to go and do it. If because she feels it like exercise... Let's get back on the horse. Yeah, yeah, that's right. His exact words were get back on the horse, actually. Yeah. He gives her a plastic card. Yes. And she, to call him up, she inserts the card in a TV screen and, and it calls him up. Yes. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> I thought that was the future. I thought that was And look at us now. I know. It's, it's exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, I, I, may, I may cut this bit out, mm-hmm. but um, where does it, th- th- hasn't the new thing happened yet? First, or does this happen? No, in the director's cut, the nuke thing happens. So that happens. So in the, in, the, in the original cut, it went straight from her going at the end of the hearing. Yeah. And they've just told her that basically she's fucked. Yeah. And they don't believe her. Yeah. And she, she stops the leader, Van Nguyen, his name is, I think, yes. at the door saying, just send somebody to that planet to yeah. prove my, my story is true. Yep. And he says, well, what do you have? Ha 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 ha. <laughs> and there's been colonies there for yeah. 40 families, 50 families. And yep. they've been fine. And then yep. she goes, oh, Jesus. And it dissolves straight, to her, straight away to her in her apartment several months later. Okay. In the director's cut, yes, it cuts to Newt's family. So I, I swear, like, maybe I've only ever seen that one. Or, like, right. I've seen... I must have seen the, the, the original cut. Yeah. The theatrical release mm-hmm. first. But I feel sure. like I've only ever seen the director's cut after that. Because yeah. to me... When I was re-watching it, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is this bit. Yeah, yeah. It so, went for two and a half hours, and he was, yeah. because he wasn't, he wasn't James Cameron, James Cameron at that James point. James Cameron. They said, it has to be a theatrical 90 minutes, you've got yeah. to cut out a good 35 minutes. Wow, okay. And he didn't know what to do. And mm. it's his wife rang him up and said, I've got an idea. And he said, I know what you're going to say. So you yeah, lose the entire colony bit before yeah. they land on the planet. Yeah. And, um, and, and what, it works, it totally works. Um, but when I saw the director's cut, I'm like, oh my god! Because I kind of assumed they filmed it, maybe filmed it afterwards. It's like yeah, this right. is really detailed. Yeah, yeah. And it, but it, it, it's so it so works. We'll talk about why it does work for me anyway. Yeah. But yeah, no. In the, in the original theater's cut, you didn't see anything of the columns right, okay, at all. Right. Well, yeah. Okay. Uh, but in the director's cut, just for those of you at home, uh, what what happens is Burke calls him up and said, hey, apparently there's supposed to be something really interesting at this grid reference. Yep. Go check it out. Cuts to the guy, Larry Decker. I think he's the guy who runs the place. Yeah. He couldn't give a shit. Yeah. So... Is that the guy that plays the captain in Red Dwarf? Yes. <laughs> because yeah. it's shot in London. And yeah, you know it's all okay. shot in London because there's the same American actors playing American actors <laughs> in this film. Yeah. Um, because the mother of Newt is, is a woman in, in Blackadder. Oh, that's how I remember. Whose husband died and he's lost an arm. Oh, yeah, that's it. And she it. says that line. Yeah, Maybe his arm's going back. He's like, and Blackadder's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so essentially then it go, it's sort of like a bidding thing. One of the, one of the, the uh, husband and wife team yep. who are miners, one of, who are prospectors, and they want to go and check it out because yes. it's something. And he goes, fine, you go go ahead and do it because he couldn't give a shit. Yep. And they're going, do we get the keep anything you see? He's like, yeah, whatever. Yep. And they find the animation. Yeah, yeah, right. And Newt and her brother are in the... Kind of all-terrain. Truck, all-terrain vehicle. Yeah. And it's revealed that, that the kids play a game where they run in the air ducts of the, of the main base. Yep. And she does it better than anybody else because she's the smallest kid on site. Yep. And um, the husband and wife go inside the alien structure, dissolves to the kids, the the husband and wife have been in there for quite a while. Yeah. The kids have had a nap. They've woken up. Mum and dad haven't come back yet. 
and they're freaking out, and then mum comes back and opens the door of the all-terrain vehicle, yep. and the father has a face, face on face. his face, yep. and Newt screams, and she never stops screaming. That's what it was said in the novel. <laughs> anyway. She's still screaming to this day. To this day, yes. Prove it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, but none of that happens in the theater, theatrical cut. Right. Then, uh, right. so Sigourney Weaver's character decides, yes, I'm going to go mm-hmm. and, and, and do this to exercise some demons. She tells Jonesy that he's staying home. Which is a smart thing to see. Yes. Say. Yeah. Again, dissolves to the Sulaco, the military spaceship. And we have these amazing slow tracking shots inside this empty spaceship, which looks mm. like a haunted house. And you have these little bird oh no, not birds, that was in the first film. You have these little mobiles, magnetic mobiles yeah, yeah. spinning. Yep. And they're there to indicate that the artificial gravity is working apparently. Yeah. Um, and then you see these rows of hypersleep capsules and they all automatically open up. Yep. And the crew wake up. And, uh, again, I thought this was all fresh. I didn't realise he ripped it off from Ridley Scott. I thought it was really, really cool. Um, and it's a squad of Marines. Yes. And Burke and Bishop and Ripley wake up. Yes. And you introduce, for the first time, this, the Colonial Marines. Yes. Uh, what was your thoughts at this particular point? Of the introduction yeah, of the Marines? Yeah. I, was, I was struck by uh, the female Marine character. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And her partner. and Drake. Her, and Drake, Vasquez. thank you. Yeah. Um, and how they came across mm-hmm. as like, I was like that. Oh. Okay, uh, and Bill Paxton, come on. Like, <laughs> straight off the bat, like yeah, there's the guy had charisma on, on screen. Yeah. Um, and I was unaware of who he was when I first watched it, but I, I still like like if anyone was to kind of like even to the point before I was becoming aware of who he was. If somebody mm-hmm. was to say to me, aliens, I'd be like, oh yeah. That. <laughs> it's it's, it's Hudson. You introduced to yeah. eleven of them, yeah, because the typical squad was eleven. Was, that was the thing, right? Okay, that was the other thing too. From when I first watched it, I thought there was loads of these guys, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And then when repeat viewing of it, you're like, oh, there's not actually <laughs> there's that many. many. <laughs> yeah, it's designed in the book. It's designed to carry troops, like a lot of guys. Yeah, but because this is this is seen as a pissy pissy little check the broken antenna mission. They yeah. send one squad. And in Vietnam, the squad consisted of 11 people. Ah, okay. And they have 11 people in their squad. Yeah. Although two of them are pilots, so technically they're a bit short. But the three that are... The, the, yes. There's about five that you introduce are the main ones. Apone, who's the sergeant. Yeah. Who, when he wakes up, cigar sticks a cigar in yeah, his yeah. mouth, which always gets a laugh in yeah. all full viewings. Uh, you have Hicks, who's the smouldering, keeps himself quiet sort of guy. Yeah, yeah. Who you recognise, oh, that's the guy from Terminator. Terminator, yeah. Hudson, who's the big loud mouth. Yes. Uh, and Vasquez and Drake. Yeah. Uh, and, like, Vasquez is the short, like, scrappy. Yes. But muscly is all fuck. Um, Fighter and Drake is... She's, she's seriously kind of packing. Oh, she's huge, she's huge. And there's the, the iconic line where Hudson looks at her when she's... Because apparently they're supposed oh, to yeah. stretch when they wake up. Yeah, yeah. And she's stretching and she's muscling off and, and Hudson says, Hey, Vasquez, is anybody mistaking you for a man? And she turns around and goes, No, have you? Yeah. And the entire audience erupts in laughter. <laughs> um... Now take a, look, take a look at Ripley and then say, well, who's she? And yep. she's, like, she's a consultant. Apparently she saw an alien once. And uh, Hudson says, whoopty fucking do. <laughs> and in the television screens, it's whoopty do. <laughs> um, so that's where you get the sense that this is a big deal. Because, again, yep. all science fiction films and all science fiction franchises at this point, aliens are a given. Yeah. But that's when you kind of get the sense that, no, they're not. Yeah, We're yeah. alone in the universe. Yeah. And, and the most they have is bug hunts. Yeah, yeah, that's like, right. They get, like, uh, native creatures which are not sentient. Yeah, so they troopers. Yeah, such, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, they, they, they seem to be very jaded. 
Yes. And, and the classic sort of, they're, they're very tight. They know each other, brothers and sisters. To be an outsider, Yep. they make you feel like an outsider. Yes. Um, but essentially, yeah, it was an interesting bit of dialogue where they they were like, they, you got a sense of like, here we go again. It's gonna, this is gonna lead to nothing. Yeah. Then they have breakfast. Yeah. There's a there's another character in the mix. Does he not get introduced until the breakfast? The commander. Become, yeah. 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 Um, which is Gorman. Gorman. Yeah. And Hicks has a throwaway line. Looks like the new lieutenant's too good to eat with the rest of us grunts. Yes. So again, he's an outsider, but he's yes. technically their leader. Yes. The other big thing is. Uh, Hudson goes to Bishop. Yes. He appears to be this valet type character and says, can you do the knife thing? Yes. And the knife trick is um, he puts his hand down and he sticks a blade between the fingers of his... of uh, Not a knife between his fingers, really, really fast. Yes. And just to make it interesting, Drake grabs Hudson's hand, puts it on top of Bishop's. Yes. And Bishop's goes, it's fine. And then um, they do the knife thing really, really quick. It's really sped up. Yeah. Because when they go to the wide shot, everybody's in the background is moving really, really quick. <laughs> so that kind of broke the illusion for me. Um, See, so. I know. But in doing so, Bishop actually nicks himself. Yes. Which he said he can't do. Yes. And when he, because he bleeds white blood. Yeah. Again, I, I don't know anything about the first robot. For sure. But when he sits down next to Sir it, Ripley, she loses her shit. Yeah. Um, because. Um, Tell yeah. me there was a synthetic? Yeah, synthetic on board. Yeah. And he says, I prefer an artificial person. Which, again, is a very 80s thing to say because 80s was the birth of political correctness. Yes. And that's a very political correct thing to say. Native, not Indian, Native American. Yes. You know, that sort of thing. Um, again, just a really nice way to ground it in some sort of reality for people for at sure. the time watching. Yeah. Um, so then they go and have a briefing. Yes. Uh, in the, uh, the big airport hangar. Yes. For want of a better word. <laughs> And they try to get Ripley to tell them what they could be expecting. Because they, they realise that they've checked out the satellite relay. That's working fine. So it's not communication problem. Yep. There's something. There's a problem so down on the surface. They've got to go check it out. Yep. They go to Ripley, tell us what it is. And she kind of splutters and she she, she freaks out. Because yeah, yeah. she's now reliving something that she's been trying to forget. They think she's just a nutcase. Yep. And it's another bird, huh? Yep. Um, it's an interesting point to differentiate. Uh, one of the first things you're sort of told, not told in screenwriting, but to try and avoid names that sound similar. Yes. For scripts when you set a similar script, or you try to avoid people with names with the same letter. Yes. Uh, because it can, again, when people read your script, it, by reading like 100 scripts a week, yep. it's just, it just gets confusing. Yeah. And Hudson and Hick have the same name. So, yeah. Or same initial. Yes. And at one of the points, the lieutenant says, what is it, Hicks? And Hudson goes, my name's Hudson, the other guy's Hicks. Yeah. But it helps. It makes you straight away different. Oh, okay, that's Hudson. That's yeah, Hicks. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, that's when he says that almost line. How do I get out of this chicken shit outfit? <laughs> anyway, so they're loading up this big troop carrier to land down uh, on the surface of the sh- of the planet. And then yep. Ripley says she feels like a fifth wheel. How can I help out? Yes. And they say you can help load some missiles into this some is crates. Where Ripley shows she's got mutsy. Yes. Well, apparently the only job she could get again, this is in the novelization, was to be a power loader lifter. Yeah. Which is the equivalent of a fork troop forklift truck driver. Yeah. And she shows that she can operate one of these things yeah. really, really well. That's right. Which is a cool moment. And the machine is really cool. Um, yeah. yeah. It's a really cool concept. It's a giant bodysuit, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's and, right. And it lifts stuff, and, and you think that's really cool, but it actually has a has a reason why that, that, that we're showing you this, this, this device. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it appears Are you like telling me it's a setup? It's a setup. Something at the end? Yeah, it's a brilliant setup. So, yeah. anyway, um, they all then... Arm up. Yeah. That's when you notice that um, Drake's and Vasquez have different machine guns to everybody else. Yeah, I used to, that was the thing I remember doing. Like, I used to walk around my cousin's house, (laughs) 
Ten over this fuck off gun. <laughs> and we all did it, but we yeah. all did that low crouch kind of thing that they yeah. the walk around like, like, you need a shit. Um, yeah, the, um, we did that a lot um, <laughs> when we were kids. <laughs> so uh, that, that was he fun. <laughs> he needed to pretend they had a shit. Yeah. Um, that was it. It's an interesting idea. It's a steady cam. Yep. It's a steady cam rig with an old World War II bread machine gun that fires. The trigger is a bike handle. Oh, yeah. It's a, okay. brake, it's a bike handle brake. Yeah, That's yeah. That's how you fire it. <laughs> um, the actual making of the movie, because James Cannon was a bit of a cannoner, mm-hmm. and they went through a lot of different machine guns to find out which one would work on screen. And the Staten gun, which is the um, same sort of machine gun that the Star- Stormtroopers guns were based on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah had yeah. the best flare. Yes. And those are the main assault rifles that the Marines carry. And then that big German machine gun was the one that would work best as smart gunners. Basically, Drake's and Vesquez are machine gun operators. Yeah. Um, excuse me. Um, they're equivalent to the guy who carries the M60 in Vietnam movies, because this is a Vietnam uh, allegory. Yes. Um, but, yeah, those are really, really fucking cool. Yep. Um, everybody else carries machine guns. Three of them carry flamethrowers. Um, and they board this uh, giant dropship plane. They actually board this armoured tank carrier. Yes. Um, first, that loads up into this flying machine that drops down yes. to the planet's surface. Apparently during that scene, everybody had really cool gear and stuff like that. Uh, Paul Reiser was a bit jealous because <laughs> he had nothing to do. And he said, can I, can I have a wallet? <laughs> and one of the props department guys gives him a wallet. And, and the opening shot, in the shot when he's about to board, he actually has a wallet in his hand because <laughs> he felt like he didn't have anything to, to play with. That's awesome. Because um, <laughs> that's going to come in handy. <laughs> he does throw a wallet at the alien. Take my American Express. <laughs> you think what else have we got in here? Swimming pass. Blockbuster <laughs> video. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. Condom. Anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Who knew the ultimate way to kill a xenomorph would be with, an, uh, with a condom? That's what that looked like when it burst out of your chest anyway. Mm. Um, way to so they, they, they bore this armoured personnel carrier, which if you take a look, <laughs> if you take a look at from the outside and when you see them go inside, it's yes. a TARDIS because the inside is way bigger than the outside. <laughs> ah, yes. The outside is tiny mm. when they go inside. And it is. It's a completely different set. Yep. Interior and exterior. Um, they load up into this dropship. The dropship drops down. Yep. Um, and they go near the planet's surface. Um, Hicks has fallen asleep at this point. Yep. Because he, he is that experienced and that blasé about it. He's like, he literally falls asleep during the trip yeah. down. That's when you find out that Gorman is really inexperienced, lieutenant. Yes. Because he looks like he's going to throw up. Yes. And Ripley says, how many drops has this been for you? And he says, like, 38 simulated. Yeah. Like, how many actual combat drops is two? This is the second one. And then that's when the rest of the, the actual Marines get a bit jittery about that. But yeah. They're not happy. Yeah, that's right. Um, they get to the close to the planet's surface. Really cool, creepy music. Mm. They fly past this great, big, volcanic-looking, um, uh, like, a, like a big nuclear power plant. Yes. And they, they're the atmosphere plant. They're the atmosphere generators. They actually change the atmosphere of the planet so it's breathable. Yes. Then they actually go to the main habitat, fly past it, and it looks creepy as all hell. Yep. It's shut down. No, there's no sign of life. They land and they come running out as Marines and it's raining and they go up to the front door and they open it after hot wiring it. They rang the doorbell, no they one answered. They answered. <laughs> and um, they, they just, did, somebody said, did you email? No, I didn't. I think you did. <laughs> anyway, they go inside and yep. the place is creepy as all fuck. There's mm-hmm. no lights. 
there's holes in the roof, it's raining, it's dripping, um, there's been signs of activity in that people have been fighting. Yeah, yeah. Um, places have been barricaded and the barricades have done fuck all. And it's really great. I love this bit. I think it's really, really cool. I think it's, it's, yeah, it's the haunted house thing where you, yeah. you, you don't go there, but they go there. They go there. And, um, and, and they find, um, after what's it, they, so, right, they go inside, Gorman says it's secure, Ripley says, I don't think it is secure. Yeah, yeah. So again, showing her to be the hero who's making the sensible choices. Yeah, yeah. But they go in anyway, and they discover inside a medical lab a bunch of face huggers inside oh, tubes. That's right. Most of which are dead, except for two. Two are still alive. Yeah. Um, and they go, they read through the medical records that um, these face huggers were attached to people. Yes. And to get it off, they, they had to kill the patient. So yeah, yeah. when they latch onto you, they latch onto you. <laughs> Um, so there's two that's alive. Okay, that's cool. Then they get a sense of movement. They have motion trackers. This is the first time we see the motion trackers. And one of their motion trackers starts beeping. And the beeping is great. It's yeah, a great, yeah. It's, it's a heartbeat. So and when it gets closer, it beats faster, like yep. your heart does. Yep. Again, a great piece of filmmaking. And through the motion tracker, they discover Newt. Yes. He's being the sole survivor of the place, hiding out underground, eating like raw food. And she looks, she looks shit. Yep. Um, and she won't talk. And she's the only one who can tell them what the hell's going on, but she won't talk. Um, they then go to the main central control hub of the of the the um, base. Yep. And uh, Hudson has this really funny line where he says, "Smoking or non-smoking," <laughs> which is not relevant today because there's no such thing as non-smoking. No. Yeah. That's right. Um, but then uh, they reveal they're looking for PDTs, personal data transmitters. Yes. Uh, so when you become a colonist, you get something jammed into your head <laughs> that sends off a little uh, beacon. Yeah, the homing beacon, so they can track you at all times. Which I'd have a problem with that. You would? Well, how the hell am I going to do something shifty? Yeah. This thing stuck on my head. Yeah, that's true. But they notice that the colonists' personal data transmitters are all clustered in the power plant. Yes. And they're going, oh, that's interesting. Let's go check it out. Yep. Um, they go into the armor personal carrier, drive into the to the plant. Yep. The crew, yeah, they all jump out of the, the actual armor personal carrier and still floors down. Yeah. And they go down as a squad. And this is a really cool thing. And again, this is pre-found footage, but inside the Allen yeah. personal carrier, every squaddy has a video camera on their helmet so you yep. can see their point of view. So this uh, this next sequence that comes up, this is, um, again, like if I was to, if you were to ask my seven-year-old self, what do you remember about that film? Mm. This is the first scene that would come to mind yeah. in, in chronological order because mm. I don't want to give spoilers away for other bits. But this was the first thing I was like, is this next section that occurs? Because so I remember good. it being so awesome. It's so good. I, like I was a huge fan of Tour of Duty as well, the series. Oh, yeah. Um, just kind of keeping the Vietnam kind of yeah. theme running here. Um, and um, Which might strike you as a bit odd because you, you'd think, do you like war films? Mm. But um, mm. I was really fascinated with the Vietnam kind of war in yeah. itself. Yeah, yeah. And everything that kind of spilled out afterwards. I think this was my real kind of first awakening to the horrors of war. Yeah, right. Um, like, coming from England, obviously, I'd read up about the, you know, the Great War and the Second World War, but this, for some reason, this really struck a chord. Okay. In my, uh, in my pre-adolescence. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, where was I going with that? So just, um, yeah, so like, this really felt like, you know, by doing the whole kind of POV kind of uh, found footage kind of feel to it, really, to me, got to the raw 
yeah. uh, part of the action. And I think this is a credit to James Cameron's direction mm. in order to m- physically immerse the viewer yeah. in that experience that's as it unfolds. Yeah. Of which I will let you... <laughs> <laughs> but that's a, it's a very good way. I mean, the whole thing about the Vietnam analogy is that the Americans went into Vietnam completely underprepared mm. to not know the enemy, not know the terrain. And here you have these 11 very American Marines yeah. walking in and in this dark environment, uh, which, as they go in further, starts to change. Yeah. And the really great line of, like, from Gorman going, what is that? And you see Hudson going, don't, don't ask me, I just work here. Yes. Cuts this amazing wide shot. And the entire part of the this underground um, uh, power plant has been changed. And this sort of really thick webbing, for want of a better word, yep. has been spread throughout the entire place. Yeah. As these aliens have basically spun the equivalent of a web. Yeah. Um, all over the place. So it's changed the architecture of the entire place and it looks creepy as fuck. Yeah. And they're going inside it, uh, which every instinct would be telling you, don't do that. Yeah. Um, so uh, Gorman at this point, I don't know if you already said this, but Gorman at this point is still back in... Still back, the, back in the PC yeah. with Burke and Sigourney Weaver, yep. Ellen Ripley, and the kid. Yep. Um, um, so at this point, yeah, they go further, further down mm-hmm. and then I start discovering inside these webbings are people... <laughs> they've discovered the colonists and they've been physically webbed up against the wall. Yep. Uh, and bones are broken, arms are snapped. The, the, the aliens have actually stuck them to the wall with this webbing and, and have given no consideration to how human anatomy works. <laughs> um, just, and it's, 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 as it's, long as the heart's yeah, beating. Exactly. As long as the torso and the heart beating, that's all they care yeah. about. The limbs, not so much. But it's, it's straight out of a horror house. Uh, yeah. Like you used to work in a horror um, theatre uh, amusement ride. Yeah. It's straight out of that. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's truly horrific. Yeah, it's great. And Yeah, it is. It's fantastic. <laughs> In real life, if that's them, they'd be going, what the fuck? They keep walking. Yeah. They keep going. I'd be like, oh, we've seen enough. Let's go back. <laughs> uh, but they know now what's happened to the colonists. Yeah. Then the Sigourney Weaver makes an, of course she's the hero, makes an observation. Where are they planted exactly? And they go, oh, they're underneath the coolant system. And she goes, well, if they've got guns, isn't that going to be a problem? Burke backs it up saying, yes, if they rupture the corn system, the whole thing goes thermonuclear. Yes. Uh, uh, so, again, it's uh, Ripley kind of... Yeah, kind of having the common sense out of yes. everybody. Yeah. Um, but, uh, again, it's a very good thing of, like, this is the pressure of leadership. This is a decision-making moment. What yep. sort of decision do you make? Yes. And Gorman makes a decision of, like, well, no, we, no disarm your guns. <laughs> the one advantage I have is, like, disarm the guns. And that's because the Marines, taking this order from an inexperienced piece of shit, are going... What are you supposed to use? Harsh language. <laughs> Great line from Frost. Yeah. Um, so they do. They disarm their guns. And he says, well, you got, you got flame units. And they said, they got three amongst, how many of them are there? Like uh, 10, 7, 9? Yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, that's gonna be, not going to be enough, but okay. Uh, Hicks pulls out a shotgun from the back of his... And, uh, and it's an antique weapon. Yeah, yeah. But it's clever. It's <laughs> like, yes. He's like, in the book he says, I don't think it will set off any mushrooms, but I think it will do enough damage if I put it off, blow it off in your face. Yeah. So he's got a shotgun. Everybody else has pistols. Three of them have flamethrowers. Um, to disarm their smart guns, Hicks and Vasquez have to disconnect a cable. Yeah. And they do that because they, and then the, because the sergeant, and it's written in the novel, the sergeant always obeys orders. Yes. So even though he thinks it's a dumb order, he yes. will always obey it. Yes. And that counts against him in the end there too, anyway. <laughs> but he takes all the clips, puts them in a bag, gives them to one of the Private Frost, I think it is, Corporal yeah. Frost, gives it to him and the power clips. And as he's doing that, Higgs and Vasquez reload their, their guns and go, fuck this shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Their it's guns. a great moment. It's <laughs> a really good moment where Higgs yeah. goes, right on, Vasquez. Because <laughs> uh, they're not going to take orders from him. No way. He's doing. So they go down and they go further and further and further. And Dietrich, who's their corpsman, 
Yes. Finds a person and for some reason just lifts her head to have a look at it and her eyes wake up and she's yes. alive. Big scary jump moment. I'm going to go low one here. Woman said, this is the first time I've ever heard this in a movie. I've heard it several times before in things. The woman says, please kill me. Yeah. Which for a 16 year old kid is like, that's really fucking chilling. Yeah. yeah. Again, I, had, I wasn't like, why is she saying, please kill me? And then you see, you soon see why. She's got a chest burster about to be, about to give birth. Yes. And burst out of her chest and explodes out and there's blood everywhere and they freak out and they nuke the woman they, they burn it alive yep. to kill her and of course that makes a lot of noise yeah. and then they go hang on what's that noise and they hear a noise from above Hudson's on his motion tracker his motion tracker starts beeping like a heartbeat yep. and he goes uh oh multiple signals all around so yep. they've woken up a nest of aliens they're like going where 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 they're not sure what to do there's a really nice moment where Frost is pointing his gun and somebody taps him on the shoulder and he says fuck shit and the beauty of these aliens and the webbing is that it's, it's straight over H.R. Geiger's artwork. Yeah, yeah. The aliens are interwoven in the webbing on the wall so that you can't see them. Yes. And Dietrich says maybe they don't show up in infrared because they got infrared. They have infrared visors on their Yeah, arms. yeah, yeah. And then one of the aliens comes out of the wall and grabs her and kills her. She hits her flamethrower, which shoots Frost, who's got all the bullets. Yeah. And then it sets off a huge explosion. Yes. All hell breaks loose. And then Vasquez is the immortal line, let's rock. <laughs> and she starts shooting the place up like crazy. <laughs> Cut to Gorman, who's like, who's shooting? Yes. And that's the only thing he cares about, that somebody's <laughs> disobeyed his orders. Yeah, yeah. And so basically the entire squad gets nuked. Yeah. Um, by these aliens. And again, Opone is telling everybody to stop firing. He needs to listen to what Gorman says. And Gorman says, retreat back. Yeah. Lay suppression fire with the, with the, which is all textbook military stuff. But a pony won't move until he hears the order. Yeah. And again, it's what kills him in the end. Yes. As opposed to actually taking action and going, look, we just got to get out of here. Yeah. So he gets killed. Basically, they, they all get ripped to pieces. They run back. Gorman freezes. Ripley goes, right, you know, you're, you're useless. She takes the wheel of the, of the AP van and just yeah. drives. Yes. And tells Hicks to meet her at a certain point. Yeah. Um, so they're all falling back now. Hudson's hurt. Hicks is carrying him. His shotgun is working. Yes. And the, the other two survivors is Vasquez and Drake. Yes. Everyone else has been killed. Yes. They meet with Ripley um, and, and tells Burke, she tells Burke to open the door. He does. They bring in... Who comes in first? It's Hudson. Yeah. Hick is trying to drag Vasquez in first, but the armor's too heavy. Yes. And Drake is laying down. as the last man in. He's yes. laying down. He's covering. Covering with, yeah. with, this, with the flamethrower. Yep. And Hicks is... Drake's kicking ass. He's fired so many bullets. He has to... He's, he's emptying out his gun. Yeah. He loses his armor. And he just goes... Uh, with his flamethrower. And there's an alien right next to the armor personal carrier that come, wakes up. Yeah. Um, Vasquez sees it. Shoots it. Acid sprays all over Drake. Just to remind you, that's a big thing with them. Yeah, yeah. Shooting them is not very easy because they've got... Uh, acid, acid for blood, blood yep. Drake is half scarred his flamethrower carries inside the a- AP carrier and yeah. he threatens to burn everybody so they close the door on him yes as they do an alien pokes its head right through the the gap of the doors and Hicks picks up his shotgun and says eat this good line <laughs> blows up blows off his head with the shotgun and yep. bits of acid goes on Hudson's arm and he starts screaming yes uh, they tell Ripley to floor it she floors it she drives out a couple of aliens drop on the um, personal case. She has to run over them. Yes. Spraying acid everywhere. Uh, Gorman gets knocked out at this point. Um, um, in the book, it's a bit different. In, in the book. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. Sorry, I'm yeah, recollecting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, he has to be knocked out because they, they got to storytelling wise, they got to knock him out. Yeah. But in the book, one of the aliens actually breaks into the actual um, personal carrier and stings him with a stinger. Oh. And it, it's a toxin that knocks him out. Right. Um, so yeah, that's that's a bit of difference. 
That never comes up at all in in any of the any franchise. franchise. Yeah, that's franchise. interesting. Yeah, it's something that's something that he Cameron had written as an extra thing. Okay. Because actually, too, just to digress, the whole webbing thing, like putting them inside up against the wall. Yeah, yeah. In the original Alien, that was a cutscene. Right. Where uh, Dallas and Brett and uh, incubating. Yeah. Um, Kane. The next set of Kane. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Incubating the next. Uh, no, no. Uh, Where yeah, we? Kane. Uh, no, no, no. Who's Kane? John Hurt. No, no. Kane died. Yeah. And the only one two survivors it took were Brett and Lambert. Da- Dallas. Lambert, he, Lambert, he tore the pieces and... Oh, you're talking about the very, very... The very first beginning ah. of the first film. Because when... Uh, doing the bit where the ship is in self-destruct and really yep. runs back because she yeah, can't yeah, switch yeah. it off. Yeah, sorry. She actually turns a corner. I was going earlier in the film. Yeah, she turns a corner and she finds Dallas against the wall. Yeah, that's and, right. And in the book, he actually says, it's inside me. So he reveals that the process is yeah. recycling. Again, I thought Cameron had written this up yeah. and this is all original to him. Yes. It was always originally in the, in the, in the uh, canon of the... Um, Aliens, if that's how they yeah, yeah, breed. Yeah. They just never got around Which to is it. really like, okay, that goes back down to Geiger's work as well, mm. because like he had written so extensively this background to right. what this race is and right, right, right. how they operate and yeah. had to kind of in order to kind of create this, mm. you know, this being, um, which would have done, you know, would have been great for any director to kind of be handed this kind of extensive amount of history to kind of go right oh that bit's interesting I yeah, want to play yeah. with that let's see see what I can create with that little bit so um, mm. yeah I think that's a kind of case in point with what you were saying there for the uh, for the webbing and, yeah. and yeah. bits and pieces so um, they come bursting out of this plant mm. um, a nuclear power plant um, they go driving until they can't drive any further um, then they sort of gather themselves and realise they've just been decimated Yes. Uh, what are we going to do? Uh, uh, Vasquez wants to kill kill Gorman, who's knocked out. Yeah. Because she, she blames him for them getting killed. Killed, yeah. Um, um, then they go, you know what? We, the, the plan is to escape back up to the ship, nuke it from sight. Yes. And they all agree that that's a good plan. Burke protests. Yeah. Because there's a fair, as he's saying, the quote is, there's a substantial dollar value attached to this property. Yeah, yeah. Or words to that effect. And they go, well, they can bill me. <laughs> and, which is a fair thing to say. Yeah. Um, so Bert's got no choice but to go with the plan. They they, they leave the armored personal carrier because that's a scrap of heat. Yeah. Um, it's decided that this, but there's an important point at this bit where they, uh, you're aware of who's now technically the one in charge. Is Hicks. Is Hicks. Yes, because he's corporal. Yeah. Yeah. And again, he's like, well, he's just a dumb grunt, no offense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that, that line comes back later in the film, too. Yes. But um, they call for the drop the, the dropship to come down, which is still being piloted by Pharaoh and somebody. I used to know the names of all of them. Yeah. I didn't realise there was two. I always I always remember the woman yeah. pilot, but I didn't realise there was a second yeah. person up there. Like, <laughs> yeah. I used to know the name. He was he the one that he sees Bishop, because Bishop is dissecting yeah. one of the facehuggers. Yes. And Bishop, uh, at one point, looks really weird, like he's really spaced out. Mm. And it's designed as a misdirect to make him yeah. look creepy. Yes. And the Spunkmeyer, that's his name. Spunkmeyer uh, says, are you okay? And he's like, I'm fine. And he's like, okay, whatever. So it was, Apone was the sergeant, Hicks, Corporal. Yeah. Frost and Hudson were the two loud mouths. Dietrich was the corpsman. Ferro and Spunkmeyer were the two pilots. Yeah. Vasquez and Drake. Crow uh, was, uh, oh, Crow, yeah. Crow was a guy, one of the first to die. And Rizbowski. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And Drake and Vasquez, yeah. 10, 11. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there you go. Uh, because when Rizbowski gets taken, Hicks says, Rizbowski, Rizbowski, which at the time I thought it was Rizbowski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rizbowski, but it's Rizbowski anyway. Um, 
So they call the dropship in. Pharaoh tells Spunkmire to jump onto the ship. Jump on because they're taking off. Yeah. Spunkmire jumps on and there's something slimy on his on the handle of the door as he's closing it. Mm. And he's like, "Oh, there's something weird here." She's like, "Just get on here." Yeah. That's like, okay. Door closing. Right. And she's flying. She's like, "Where the hell are you?" Because the door opens and yeah. it's an alien. Yeah. And he kills her. Yep. Nice shot here where you just see blood on the windscreen. Yes. And it crashes the ship and they realise that their one transport to get them out of here is gone. Yeah. Classic piece of cinema where an improvised line by Bill Paxson yeah. was, <laughs> Game over, man, game over. <laughs> uh, which again, a as a kid in the 80s, yeah. every video game you played had that line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and Burke is like, maybe we should start a campfire. <laughs> Which, again, got a lot of laughs because you'd be laughing hysterically too and you realise you're fucked. <laughs> and then the third great piece of uh, cinema history, great line, was uh, the girl saying to uh, Ripley, we should get inside because they come out at night. Yep. Mostly. 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 They mostly come out at night. Mostly. Which is a line that haunted that actress for the rest of her life. Oh. Because her school friends, when she was a teenager, would be like... Do you want to go see a movie? She goes, okay, well, the movie's on at night, basically. <laughs> and they would say that like, stuff to her, and she's like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> um, so, okay, they're regrouping. They're now back inside the base. They're closing up the shutters, and, yep. they, and they, they do inventory what they got, which is some guns, some bullets, not a lot. Yeah. Again, in the director's cut, there's a really cool moment where they realise they have these two century, four sentry guns. Yes. Which is really, really cool. And, um, again, it's a whole scene they've cut out, but these sentry guns they put out in certain places to yes. surround them. And, and um, they literally stop the aliens from coming at them. But they've cut this, and this is the theatre cut, so none of that is relevant. Uh, they realise, okay, we've got to barricade this place. Yes. And my first thought is, well, it didn't work before, so what makes you think it's going to work for you guys? Yeah, yeah. But they seem rather hopeful that if they, they, they weld certain plates and certain corridors, and Sigourney Weaver is pointing at a map, and she's pointing at nothing. Even as a kid, I realised, what the hell are you pointing at? <laughs> um... But they realise that they, they block off certain corridors, world plate steel from the armoured personnel carrier, which they've, they've carried back with them, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. They should be able to hold off for 17 days. That was it. They've asked how long to, can I expect to rescue it? 17 days. Yeah. And Hudson, again, the whiny soldier who's an archetype that gets repeated in many future films, yes. says, I'm not going to last 17 hours, which is a very good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, again, even I was thinking that's a tall order. They're not going to last 17 days if the colonists, who know hundreds of them, yeah, all of these these things. Yeah, they will. That's right. But they seem they're confident that they're going to do that. Because <laughs> um, Ripley says at the point that the girls survived a lot longer than that. That's true. Off, there is true. Which yeah. is a valid point. Yep. Um, and then Hudson comes up with a great line to put her in charge. <laughs> <laughs> Again. Um, so um, uh, at this point, Hicks, I think, introduces Ripley into how to use a machine gun. Yes. It's very eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pro gun. Got to use this and do that. Um, it has a grenade launcher, which he tells It's uh, very reminiscent of when uh, Michael Bean shows Linda Hamilton how to use a gun yeah. to protect herself. That's right, yes, yeah, exactly. Um, so, and again, Sigourney Weaver had a huge problem with it because she was an anti gun advocate yeah. in her life. Yeah. And Cameron had to keep telling her it's not about the guns, it's about you protecting this girl, which yeah. your mother would do. Yes. And so, anyway, she can get her head around it. Um, so, she's learning, okay, um, learning how to use a gun. And then at one point, Bishop comes in and tells them they have another problem. And this is a great piece of storytelling. Put the, the heroes in jeopardy yeah. and then make it worse for them. Yes. And, and, and so 
Yeah, and it's done... All the good films that do this really well, do really well. Yeah. And he points out that the actual big power generator, that the atmospheric plant, has actually ruptured. The one thing they were trying to avoid to do. Yeah. And that it's going to go thermonuclear in a couple of hours. Yes. They've got to do something. And then they come up with a plan. Again, Sigourney Weaver is the one who comes up with a plan. Yeah. Um, they can the remote call the other dropship. There's another dropship. Yes. From above and land. How she knows this... Because it's 57 years in the future. <laughs> so this is all new technology to her. This is like somebody from the 30s learning how to use the internet. Yeah. Anyway, so... It'll work. It'll work, yeah. <laughs> and so they realise that... That's, that was a really great scene. Like, who's going to go out and remote patch the yeah. signal? And then there's a classic Hudson's like, I'm not doing it. You fucking doing it. And then and Bishop goes, I'll do it. I'll do it. And it's just yeah. a really nice moment. It's a bit like the Lord of the Rings moment where Frodo, Frodo says, yeah, yeah. I'll take the ring, I'll take the ring, whilst everybody's arguing. Yes. Um... Um, and then, yeah, Hudson, <laughs> again, the audience always laughed at this. Hudson going, yeah, man, Bishop should go. <laughs> and um, it makes sense. Like, it, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Cause he, but he's like, but Bishop, Bishop doesn't know that they can differentiate him from a human. Yes. And he has that line of like, I'd rather not, but, you know, I have no choice. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so they send him down a pipe and it's really claustrophobic. Yeah. And he's just doing those shifting his shoulders. It's yeah, just, yeah. oh, it's creepy. Again, if you're claustrophobic at all, it's not a good oh, feel. Yeah. Because he's going to the unknown where yeah. he could die. Yeah. So he does all that. Um, um, Gorman wakes up at this point and he's yes. very apologetic. So he's now had a character shift where he's, yes. he's, he's, he's uh, humble now. Yes. And, and, and he apologises to Ripley, who's now clearly in charge. Yes. Uh, Ripley decides to check on the girl Newt, who's asleep. Yep. Uh, and and she's yeah, she's asleep inside. Yep. The medical bay where the two aliens are resting, resting, face captured, face huggers. Yeah, captured inside the little capsules. Yep. But for some reason, the only cop was inside the same room. <laughs> yeah. Ripley puts a gun down on top of the bed, finds Newt sleeping under the bed because yeah. that makes sense because he's traumatized and he's only trusting small spaces. Yes. And sleeps with her and falls asleep. Yep. Wakes up, sees the canisters are, are open, so the yeah. aliens are out. Yes. She goes to reach for a gun, which she put on top of the bed. It's gone. Yeah. Tries to get out of the room. It's locked. She sees the gun is now being moved by somebody outside the room. Yep. She's now going, oh, we're fucked. Yeah. Um, and she starts to try and waving into the camera, saying, oh, you can please see me. The camera gets switched off. The monitor gets switched off by Burke. Yeah. So it's Burke is well, the one who's done this. Bastard. Helen Hunt, what did you see in him? Um... <laughs> So she gets to tell Ripley gets the rather clever idea of setting off the fire alarm. His wit, his charm, which is a universal thing because the fire alarms uh, yeah. of the future look exactly like the fire alarms. Mm. Yeah, sprinklers, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sprinklers. So she sets the sprinklers. That sets off a fire alarm, and that calls the others over. And of course, that's when the two face huggers come to attack them. Yeah. And so it's a race against time before Hudson and Hicks run in, see they're both being attacked. Um, one's attacking the girl. She's jammed its tail with a mm. table, so it can't yeah, quite yeah, get yeah. it up. Yeah. Whereas another one's wrapped its cords around the neck of Ripley. Yes. And so they see it. The Marines come and shoot open the window. They jump in. Hudson shoots the one killing, about to attack the girl. Shoots yeah. it to pieces. Yeah, yeah. And he actually, I remember at the time thinking he's wasting a lot of bullets because <laughs> he gets it on the first go and he just keeps firing. <laughs> and then um, Hudson and throw pulls off the, the alien off and Gorman pull off the alien off around Ripley yep. and I throw it midair and then Vasquez shoots it midair That's and right. she only fires like two bullets yeah because she's, she's cool better soldier yep and so. straight away Ripley says it's Burke she's figured it out yeah uh, then they confront Burke about it and she's the one that put it all together that um, somehow she put it together he was the one who did it I don't <laughs> yeah. know um, all I know is they have an argument earlier about he was the one that told the colonists about this thing yeah yeah and he reveals that if it's real 
you know, this could be worth a shit of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she realises, because this means so much to them, the only way he figured he can get through quarantine is if they were incubating inside Ripley and Newt. Yes, uh, that's way right. To circumvent a lot of red tape, which is something he was kind of worried about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so they Ripley comes up with this line, I don't know who's worse, us or them, you don't see them fucking each other over for a percentage. Um, and then... And Hicks goes, yeah, okay, we waste him. And he picks him up and says, no offence. <laughs> and that's when the lights go out. Yeah. And they realise, oh, shit, they've cut the power. Yeah. And they realise that the, 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 the perimeter's being breached. Tells uh, Vesquez and Hudson to go outside with the motion trackers to see them. They can't see anything. Yeah. And then they suddenly get a signal that there's a whole horde coming towards them. So they all fall back inside the main control room. Yes. Wheel the door shut. Yes. These portable wielding things. Um, and then they realise that it comes in like eight metres, seven metres, six metres, yeah. and Ripley eats, so that's inside the room. Yep. And they realise, how can that be? Then they all look up. Oh, they're coming through the roof. And yes. it's a really nice scene where Hudson Hicks sticks his head through the roof, and sure enough, there's a buttload of these aliens coming straight at him, and he shoots down the roof, and it's all hell, all hell breaks loose. So something I just want to add to this, like, obviously it's a guy, there are guys in suits that are the Xenomorphs, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't remember that so clearly from the first film. And I, I think he's the only act, the Xenomorph is only actually seen in some, like, four minutes of actual mm. screen time. And here it's, it seems a lot more obvious that it's a guy in a suit, mm. or guys in a suit, particularly that bit where Hicks pokes his head up and you've got them crawling along the walls. Yeah. To me, that was... Like, that's a bunch of people in suits. <laughs> which kind of broke... Broke the, the broke, illusion for you. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Although I kind of still liked that mm. too. The thing, the thing I noticed about these aliens is that their, their, their dome head had a rib-like structure. Yes. Which the first alien was... For her pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, At some point we have to talk about penises and vaginas yeah, do, in this. Come on. Do. Anyway, carry on. So, um, yeah, and the original only had a smooth one in a while. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so it all hills break loose. They're shooting. Um, they're falling back. They're getting killed. Hudson, at this point, gets taken down. Mm. He gets pulled to the floor. And um, oh, yes. he screams. And this alien uh, fingers go around his face, pulls him down. Yeah. In the book, uh, Hicks shoots after him. Yes. Hoping that one of the bullets kills Hudson. Yes. Um and then Burke runs out to the back and locks the door. That's right. So what a piece of shit. Yeah. And it's sort of an antechamber. And he opens up the other door to the antechamber and there's an alien waiting for him. Yeah. So he's taken. The rest fall back, run through, can't find Burke. Um, but they lock the door and seal it shut. Yeah. And they realise that they're kind of fucked. And then Newt points out there's an actual air vent that will take him to the landing strip because she knows the place inside. Yep. The air vent just has to be big enough for people to call through. <laughs> Big bugbear with a lot of movies. Um, but she runs through and she leads the way and they all, all of them rush through. The last one being Vasquez who's laying down, covering fire. Yes. And as they go uh, to a certain junction, because um, Vasquez is quite a fair way behind, mm. an alien actually jumps up and smashes to the floor underneath between them. Yeah. And they're calling out for it and then Gorman tells Hicks to go. Yeah. Um, and he'll go back for Vasquez. Yeah. And he does... Because uh, that's a one jump, one drops on Vasquez, yeah. and she kicks it with a boot and shoots it with a pistol. But of course, the blood sprays on the leg, so that's she can't right. move. Yeah. And Gorman comes back, finds her, tries to drag her back, and of course, another alien pops up of where he came from. So they're pinned on either side. Yeah. And there's a really nice moment where he shoots, he shoots these pistols, runs out of bullets, yeah. pulls out a grenade, and his grenades are really cool. Like there's a plastic top things where you just flip up with the top and press a button. Yeah, that's it. 
And then they both... Because that's no design fault. Yeah, yeah no, exactly, yeah. That's oh, damn it. Nothing go wrong there. Let myself up again. Um, and then um, they both hold hands over... And, yeah. And, and, and Vesca says, yours me and that's old Gorman. And they blow up. That was, that's the other kind of... The next wave of memory yeah, yeah. is that scene. It's, yeah. it's a really strong... It is. Powerful scene. And it's him redeeming himself for it everything is. that he screwed up with. So yeah. it's like, you know, that's his story arc completed there yeah. but not only that but her forgiveness of him in that moment too yeah, exactly because yeah. she's one of the most uh, anti-Gorman fans yeah, yeah, <laughs> there yeah. of the troop you know so yeah. it's, it's almost they have this kind of synergy moment where they come together in their dying moments and oh Aww, way to go yeah um, the the um I, I was the thing that struck me is that he was still a soldier he could, yep. he could still shoot he can all that he just couldn't yeah win. yeah no that's um, right um, the other interesting thing about that particular scene mm. is that Jeanette Goldstein couldn't shoot a pistol. Uh, oh, shooting right. a pistol to a rifle is very different. And she trained on the rifle, but shooting a pistol without it looking like an, an amateur holding a pistol, she couldn't do it. Right. And so at the last minute thing, because Cameron wanted a close-up of the... Because her boot kicks the alien in the head and then her gun hand comes in and she shoots at point-blank range. Yeah. Cameron needed that shot to convey that the acid spills on a leg. Yeah. And so the stunt guy said, well, who do you know who's a woman who can shoot a gun? And he said, my wife. Yep. So Gail, that's Gail on Hurd's hand shooting that gun. Because right. they were gun nuts from the, gun nuts from the 80s. And that's her shooting. And they had to sort of really tan it an awful lot because her hand is like of very course. different to yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that, that's, that's, that's another piece of There pretty. you go. Nice. Gail on Hurd was shooting the alien. So um, uh, the big explosion actually causes, because at this point Ripley and Newt and Hicks were going across, traversing across this rather difficult part of the actual air duct. Yeah, and the explosion causes her to fall down a shaft, Newt to fall down a shaft. She gets separated from Ripley and, and Hicks. Yep. And so Ripley and Hicks try and find her. They find her buried underneath a grill yeah. uh, in, in a sewer. And so they try and wheel the grill open with a torch. Mm-hmm. And just as they do, this alien comes up and grabs her and she screams. And as I open up the grill, she's gone. Yeah. And and Ripley's losing it. She's going, well, wait, they don't kill her. They don't kill her. We can, we can, we can still find her. And Hick, more you got the sense out of Hick, just, yeah, agrees with her just to get out of this. And yeah. yes, let's go. Um, that's right, too. She also has a tracker on her. The Newt has a tracker that's on her. That's right. Which Hicks gave to Ripley. The Ripley gave to her for good yeah. luck. Yeah. So that's why he's like, okay, look, she's got a tracker on her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. right. if it had been anybody else, you'd be like, well, why don't you go and try and save the others? But the tracker was like, Yes. Gives them a chance. Exactly. They go running into an elevator. Closed doors, of course, as always happens when you're in a hurry, the doors don't close. Mm. When they do close, an alien comes bursting through. Uh, and then Hicks will Ripley shoot it and yeah. it sprays acid all over Hicks. Yes. And Hicks' armour is the one that cops the brunt of it, but he's got to take it off and he's burnt and he's hurt. Yeah. By the time they come out of the elevator and find Bishop, Bishop's like, he's still alive and he's called down the remote ship. And they're going, hey, Bishop, fantastic. He's like... How much more time? He goes, oh, plenty. And it doesn't explain for another hour or so. It's good because we're going back inside. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so then we get to uh, Bishop flying the, the second dropship with the wounded Hicks yeah. and Ripley back into the mouth of the demon. Yeah. Into the power plant to try and find the girl. Again, the, the great... It's again, it's, it's the thing of like, you got out. Why are you going back inside? It's fantastic. Yeah. He, Ripley at this point decides to get a gun and a flamethrower, strap them together with gaffer tape. And a shit ton of grenades. Mm. So again, this is the real Rambo moment. Yeah, yeah. Very 80s. Such an 80s thing to do. Absolutely. And decides to... She, and she orders uh, Bishop, you, don't, you can't leave until we come back. Yep. And Bishop's kind of reasonably saying, you know, if you don't do this quickly, we're fucked. Yep. And she's telling Hicks, telling him to leave, and Hicks is stoned out of his mind at this point because he's injecting morphine into him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, and so she goes down into the pit, and she she's using the tracker to try and find the girl. Yep. She's using markers, uh, flares, to magic mark markers, away. magic markers, yes, <laughs> sharpies, to find a way. And then she ends up in the again in the cut, in the extended cut. They shot it, but hasn't been included in any extended cut as far as I know. Okay. They find Burke. She finds Burke. Yeah. Burke okay. Right. Just being impregnated because he got kidnapped beforehand. Yes. Um, then she ends up finding the girl just before the alien egg hatches in front of the girl's face. Because like, the girl's watch has been snapped off. That's so right, So she yeah. starts giving up and crying. That's it. And the girl wakes up, finds an egg hatched in front of her and starts screaming. The scream is what gets Ripley to know where she is. Mm. Ripley shoots the egg, frees the girl, runs the girl, suddenly stops. Mm. And you're like, why have you stopped? And then she turns around, looks up, and there is the biggest alien you've ever seen in your entire life. Yeah, the Queen Alien, which is again something they 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 uh, theorized with with they theorized it with Bishop earlier. Yeah, because Ripley says who's laying the eggs, and Bishop says I don't know. Yeah, it's probably something we haven't seen in the novelization. He theorizes these creatures follow like a hive. Yeah, so yeah. maybe it's a queen. Yeah, but either way, the reveal of a Queen Alien is amazing. It's it's a huge piece of animatronic. Oh, it's awesome. It's, it's an amazing, beautiful thing. It's got a huge sack of eggs, which is laying these disgusting yeah, yeah. eggs in, in like almost like a conveyor belt. Yep. And Ripley goes, we are fucked. Yes. <laughs> she doesn't say that. You could tell. You think it for her. Yeah. Um, she gets flanked on either side by soldier aliens. Who look like guys in suits. That's the bit. The other bit. lost a support. Yeah. And then so she, again, interesting testing the intelligence of this creature. She puts a flamethrower near yeah. an egg. And saying, if you do you attack us, we'll fucking nick your eggs. And the, the, the queen alien gets it. Yeah. Tells them her troops to back off. Yeah. And Ripley slowly backs away with, with Newt. Gets out of... Because they're in the middle of eggs, that's right. They're yeah, in the middle yeah. of the egg field. Gets to the edge of the egg field. One of the eggs hatch open. Yeah. And Ripley just gives her this, this <laughs> cock of the head saying, oh, come on. Yeah. And then nukes the eggs. Yeah. And reneges on the deal. Uh, and then that just pisses off the Queen Alien like you wouldn't believe. Absolutely. And uh, she fires his grenades into the Queen Alien's sack, so punched in the egg sack. Yeah. Blows up the egg sack. And this is all front projection too, so it's really Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way they shot this. Um, and then Ripley picks up Newt and just runs. Yeah. Uh, and it's a dummy, you can tell. It's a dummy because <laughs> Newt doesn't really move. Um, and she hits, she gets, and the Queen Alien really furious at this point disconnects from her egg sack oh, that bit that particular image really mm. struck with me the bit mm. where she pulls herself off from the egg yeah. uh, the egg sack because it yeah. felt really uh, well a realistic but yeah. like there's this really kind of um, oh, I wasn't going to say this uh, organic kind of feel about the structure of the piece yeah. know, of her well it's a classic CGI versus a practical effect because yeah. it's there it's so visceral yeah. and all the drippy gooeyness that's the word I'm trying to find it's just yeah. like ah oh, it's, it's fun and yeah. the queen chases after Ripley because she's going to fuck that bitch up yeah. Ripley gets to these two elevators hits one yeah. it doesn't come so what do you do she hits the other elevator which counts against her in the end Yes. because um, the first elevator comes down so she gets on that goes up the elevator yeah. by the time the queen gets there what happens the second elevator comes down so she Somehow knows how to operate the other one. Gets inside, comes up. Yeah. Ripley comes up to the platform, straight to the spaceship, except it's not there. Go Bishop, damn you can't. Bishop. You want to believe that. Bishop, <laughs> you shit. Um, yeah, Bishop's taken off and left her behind. So again, can't trust aliens, can't trust robots, can't trust synthetics, can't yeah. trust androids. Yeah. Um, then the queen comes out of the second elevator. Yes. Got you, bitch. <laughs> and Ripley says, close your eyes, baby, because she's gonna, she's gonna, she and you are going to jump off the railing because she'd rather that as death. Yes. And face the thing. And of course, Bishop comes up flying the spaceship. Yeah. Picks them up. They go flying off. Uh, and the big 
soundtrack. There was a part of the alien soundtrack which was used in movie trailers for years. Yeah, yeah. The countdown bit where they fly off and the entire place goes nuclear and explodes and they're yep. safe. That's it. End of the film, yeah. End of the film, that's it. Boom. Uh, Bishop explains to them, sorry about giving you a scare there, but it was just too, too unsafe to stay on the platform, so I thought I'd hover. <laughs> Beneath the platform so you wouldn't see me when you came out. <laughs> um, and then Hicks is out of it. He's, he's had a lot of morphine. Mm-hmm. Um, they land inside the spaceship. It's just the four of them now have survived. They say, let's go get a stretcher for Hicks. Yep. And she goes, okay. So Bishop, Hicks and the girl... Bishop, Ripley and the girl come walking out of the spaceship. And then Ripley figures him and says, you did really good. Yeah. And he said, oh, did I? Thank you. And then they see a bit of acid dropped from above going, well, what's that about? Mm. And then this great big stinger sticks right through the back of Bishop, uh, Bishop's chest, explodes. Which, again, the part of what's good about that is the, uh, is the chest burst kind of imagery that yeah. we see because it, it literally looks like, yeah, uh, originally looks like there's the an alien burster. coming out yeah. of him and then obviously it reveals that it's... It's the Queen's tail. Queen's tail. Because yeah. she, she jumped on inside the landing gear. Yeah. Um, and so she literally rips uh, Bishop in half. Yes. And there's lots of white stuff and milk and everything everywhere. Um, and yes. It, yeah. <laughs> and uh, she chases after the girl, the Sigourney Weaver, mm-hmm. goes diving inside a, a, a bay and closes down the door. Yeah. The girl does what she does best and goes underneath the, the grating of the ground and tries yeah. to hide. Um, and the Queen only plays whack-a-mole. She tries yeah, to yeah. find the grating and find the girl. She ends up finding the girl. And then the, the door that Ripley's hidden behind opens up and she comes out inside the power suit. Oh, power lifter. Oh, power right. Lifter. Do you remember that, folks? <laughs> and says the immortal line, get away from her, you bitch. Yep. Which apparently used to get standing ovations in the early screenings in America. Yep. Um, they then duke it up and it's a really cool fight. Yeah. And it's basically Godzilla versus... It's so, yeah, Megalon. Meg- yeah, all yeah, that all stuff. That. It's, yeah. so, it's, so, it's so good because the, the Queen has weapons. It's and tough. Pacific Rim's the one that's done yes. a recent... Yes, well, there's a rumor that Pacific Rim and Godzilla might combine universes, Ooh. which I think would be really cool. Um, but uh, yeah, so the, the, the Queen has a snappy tongue with the mouth on it, yep. and a stinger, and Sigourney Weaver has a flame welder yes. as a weapon. So they've got weapons too, it's really cool. That's it. And then, um, and then Ripley at one point opens the, the actual lower door that leads into space, so yes. the inner, inner airlock. Yep. Grabs the Queen, tries to throw her down the airlock, and the Queen grabs her and pulls her down with her. Yep. They hit the outer door the airlock before it's open Ripley gets out unbuckles herself from the thing gets out climbs up the ladder and the alien grabs her foot yep. and so Ripley decides to just open up the airlock and she overrides a command with this little lever pulls it down airlock opens out sucks the queen out mm. and takes her, Ripley's shoe with it yeah. Um, so similar ending to the first film where it ends up the alien being out in the space. Yeah. And of course, all the air gets sucked out yes. and, and the girl gets pulled out but gets grabbed by Bish, half of Bishop's huh. Top half of his torso. torso. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, wouldn't work in real life because when air gets vacuumed out, it's instantaneous. But hey, this is space. And then Ripley closes the door and saves the day. Yep. But then uh, she picks up the girl. The girl says, Mummy. Yes. Yeah. And then they decide they're going to go to sleep. And the girl goes dis- dissolves to the hypersleep chamber. Mm-hmm. The girl says to Ripley, Are we going to sleep all the way? Are we going to have any nightmares? No, I think we're, gonna, we're both going to be able to sleep. Yes. And it ends on the fall inside the sleeping hypersleep chamber, and that's it. Yeah, the end. End of the film. Boom. What a, what a roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's like, you know, again, like to co- go back to what you were saying about Cameron's direction and stuff, and the, the art of great storytelling is just when you think they've hit their worst, 
more comes and it just keeps coming yeah um and it's great it's, it's a you're right roller coasters is a great uh analogy of of the ride that these uh yeah. four survivors find themselves in mm. um yeah it's awesome awesome great and I, like i said i'm not usually a fan of the action film mm. but this is definitely like one of the best action oh. films ever put to print i think it's for me it was a great listen in how to do a sequel yeah because obviously it paid homage to the first film where it needed to yeah um but it wasn't afraid to add its own element which felt completely logical within the, the logic set up in the first film mm-hmm. it, it it took a bigger risk by being a different film that like wasn't yes. a haunted horror film it was a war film yeah so those are two cousins yeah he made them two cousins so they were related so it wasn't a big leap yeah but it's still a risk because mm. it's the horror element was still there. That's why I think yeah. that's why it still worked. Yeah. Even the titling from Alien to Aliens is a very clever thing to say. Yes. Because um, no sequel at that point had done that. Everything no. sequel would be the blah, blah, blah 2, the blah, yeah, blah, yeah, 3. Yeah. Um, and even like, because rumours were that the third Alien film was going to be Alien Cubed. Yes, that's And it didn't right. work out that way. But um, It was written that way, though. Yeah, I think the, the, the poster had Alien and the 3 in the top as yeah. well as Cubed. That's right. Um, and I always thought that the third film should have involved the Predator. Right. So, so it's cute, Predator Alien and, uh, um, and be more of a straight science fiction film. Yes. Um, and that should have been the trilogy. That, that's just me. Um, but I, it, it, yeah, it, it's a, a great example of a great sequel. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's its own thing. It's better in some ways. It's not as good as some others. But yeah, yeah. It's overall, it's just as good. Mm. Um, uh, the hardware behind it, the, the, the action, um, the interaction. Again, it's seminal because a lot of films ripped, off, ripped it off in terms of there's always a group of people in space on a spaceship and there's the, arch- the cowardly archetype, yeah, the yeah. cool archetype, um, the traitor archetype. You know, yeah, yeah. So the, the, the tough, Vasquez was duplicated. Yes. The, the tough oh, yeah. marine type. I mean, in Star Trek Next Generation, um, the security officer was going to be played by Marina Sirtis because she had a Latino look to her. Oh, okay. And they originally called her Ramirez or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they flipped her with... Denise Crosby's. Denise Crosby's yeah. blonde, more Russian. Yeah. Because they realised it was too blatant an alien. Yeah, off. yeah, yeah. But again, I mean, Drake, I mean, the guy who played Drake played Drake in other films for years to come because that's called he play. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, and then it's in Bill Paxton too. Like, yeah, All yeah. he plays, Carol's like, true lies, he played the same sort of character. Yeah, yeah. And it's only when he got older, he was able to break away from that and yes. become the great actor he was. Yes. Um, Michael Bean, same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He always played the square jawed hero, which he hated because he was a character actor. Mm. Um, uh, just, yeah, a really fascinating film. How it came about is really interesting. James Cameron had, had, had just done Terminator. Yep. Brandy Wine had got the rights to write the sequel. Okay. And based on his success on Terminator, Fox greenlit the sequel. Because the yes. sequel was, was supposed to be, it was in. They wanted to do a sequel straight away, mm. couldn't do it, and then in 83 it came up and he'd just done Terminator. Yep. And they realised, okay, this guy can do it. Mm-hmm. Goes to England to shoot it, because back then American films shot in England all the time. Yeah, yeah. Nobody in England knew who the fuck he was. Yes. And he spent the entire film fighting for their respect. That's right. The first I'll AD kept that. on trying to usurp him. Yes. Um, James Cameron himself is not... Uh, I can imagine he would rub people the wrong way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've seen some really interesting behind-the-scenes footage where he's trying to teach... a gaffer how to use the how to pull the face hugger along because they're on strings yes this is old school filmmaking not CGI yeah yeah and he said you pull with fishing wire and said do you have any gloves and it's a kid some sort of art director's assistant and he goes no I don't have any gloves and you could tell him goes well who the fuck doesn't have gloves like you gotta have gloves like you could tell he's at the, at the end of his tether he's really yeah, tired yeah, yeah. and he comes across as a real 
dickhead. Yeah. But in the concept of the film, he'd been, he's been in battle for such a long time. Yeah, yeah. And it was just coming under fire for a lot of people. He didn't have anybody's respect. At one point, he tried, because he figured, okay, I don't know what to do. These people don't know who I am. I have a screening of Terminator to show them I, I've made a film like this. Yeah, before. yeah, yeah. Because he's so young, too. That's the reason why these old school English filmmakers wouldn't respect him. Yes. And he's like, I'll show him a Terminator. I could tell them to do it. And he showed a screening one month's time. Nobody turned up. <laughs> um, and things like that. He was just fighting all the time to get the game done. Image of James Cameron in a room on his own. Yeah, by himself. Oh, that was a good movie. What do you reckon? Hello. Oh, Hello. I liked it. Hello. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it's just interesting all, all the stories that went behind it. Um, yeah. Um, and that was a really good story with um, the thing we talked about with um, the bit where they go into the Allen personal carrier mm-hmm. and Drake dies mm. and um, Smoke, because it's supposed to be that he sets fire to the ACP. Yeah. Smoke comes up and they close the doors. And apparently the first take they did, Jeanette Goldstein, Vasquez goes, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And apparently Bill Paxton said in that moment, as an actor, he was like, oh, shit, I wish I thought it said that. That's a good line. And instead, as an actor, my first thing was like, oh, that's a good choice. But she was real. She couldn't breathe. Yeah. <laughs> because the, the smoke went straight into the ACP, which had a low hanging roof, and it got toxic, apparently. Oh, my And God. she really couldn't breathe, and she almost died. <laughs> and, like, and the Bill Paxton's going, oh, damn, I wish I thought it said that. <laughs> and then, so for the next take, they had to take the roof off so the smoke had somewhere to go. Okay. But lots of really cool stories like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, um, yeah, uh, all the ideas behind it are great. The, the smart gun is great. Mm. Um, um, just, I mean, all the things I thought were kind of original to the film, like the motion trackers are great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but that still worked. I mean, the fact that you made it a heartbeat, it's the reason why that, that video game, um, Silent Hill works. Yes. When your mobile frame vibrates. When yeah, you're yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 I mean, like, it just works, just because it sets you on edge. Yeah. Um, yeah, all of it. He, yeah, it's a, it's a great, great film. It's an awesome film. Something that we didn't uh, touch on was the, uh, the theme of motherhood. Yes. Uh, throughout this, which is like wasn't present in Alien the first, mm. and it's something that was introduced into this one and continues afterwards yes. too, and is quite a prominent theme throughout the franchise. Yeah. Not just motherhood, but birth, rebirth. Yes, all of it. Yeah, and it's something Galen had pushed to make sure that relationship yeah. was front and center. Yeah, because it was a, it got an Academy Award nomination. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's the first of that kind of film that really to do that. And I, I remember being really pissed off when it lost. Lost <laughs> to Gandhi or something. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Is that right? It's, it feels right. I thought it was later. Oh, Gandhi was before that. Anyway. Yeah, you can um, But yeah, yeah, that was a, it was a pretty uh, pretty cool cool moment, really. Um, sorry, I'll just say that sentence again. So yeah, look, the motherhood thing was uh, something that really kind of struck, struck me. Um, and penises and vaginas. <laughs> and the whole thing that he set up so beautifully in Alien 2, he gets pissed on by, by Fincher in Alien 3. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we won't talk about that. Let's just go through yeah. the cast real quick. Yep, go on. Sigourney Weaver, Ellen Ripley. Yes. Um, up to notch, you know, from, yeah. from what, you know, and again, continued that uh, character arc in a really cool way from yeah. who we knew as Ripley from the first one. Still has the essence of who she was, but is able to kind of expand on that. Yeah. And uh, allow her to become the more kind of gritty, Rambo-esque uh, character that she becomes. And, you know, and for me, it's this movie that sets her into cinema history. Yeah, it's a good point. Well, the first movie, she's a victim, obviously. She's, yeah. she's trying to escape. This one, she's a fighter because yeah. she's protecting something that's precious to her. Mm. And again, in the director's cut, you reveal that she has a 12-year-old daughter. Yes. Who died, at, she's, who died an old woman before, yeah. you know, before she got back. Yeah. Um, and so yeah so she's lost that 
and that sense of loss is, is made up for my new to coming into a life. Exactly. Um, yeah, you're right. I think because it was all like she's the girl from Ghostbusters, she's the girl from mm. Alien, but this was like, oh, now she's a star now, and she can yeah. demand what she wants, and she she was a star. Yeah, still is. Yes. Michael Bean as Corporal Hicks. Yes. What do you think of his performance? Like we we were talking about it before, he is a replacement, a last minute replacement played by James Ma. Yeah. Who appears in some of the film? In you see the back of his head because they couldn't do reshoots. Yes. But James Ma left because of creative differences. Apparently, the real reason was he got busted for drugs. Yeah. Which I'm thinking it's the 80s, so <laughs> yeah. they, they all would have been. Um, but, uh, yeah, so then he comes in the last minute. And obviously he comes in because Cameron must have had a shorthand with him because they just did Terminator together. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he seemed to me, like, I can't see anybody else play Hicks but Hicks. No, that's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 He, he's just, he's so laconic. But he pulls it off. He's so, he's asleep in the dropship. He's so fucking. Yeah, yeah. He's the guy that says, it's a bug hunt. Like he just there's and I think that what's great about his role or his character, I should say, is that he's so removed from the very beginning, mm. uh, yeah, right, yeah, and allows the more kind of immediate, kind of more brash, kind of in your face characters of the troop to have their moment, mm. yeah, before you start realizing the strength of his character comes through because of his reliability, his stability, yeah. and, and he's a classic. He, he won't say anything unless it needs to be said. Yeah. Because he's got nothing to prove. Exactly. He's such a good soldier. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he's, he's practical, he's straightforward, yeah. And you're right, it's a good point that the loudmouths get their moment and then they can die. Yeah. And you realise that the guy in the corner who's quiet this whole time is, he's the guy you can need the back. Yeah. he's the one who's going to have you back. Exactly. Uh, Paul Reiser, mad about you? Yeah, he's mighty dad. That's like, <laughs> to me, he's the, he's the, he's the geeky dad. Like he's, he always plays that character. Like yeah. everything he does, he's like kind of like I'm gonna do everything by the book. Mm. Um, but he's also funny. Like he's yeah. he's got the wit to it as well, yeah. which is what made him so successful in Mad About You. Yeah. Um, but a backstabbing piece of shit. It's a nice stretch for him. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like, yeah he does it well. He does. <laughs> Lance Henriksen. Aspiration. Oh, a legend. He is a legend, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, his portrayal, the, the way his haircut was just wrong. Just all these, oh, really? Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like it's, it's in strands. It's yes, like the kids right. give him some haircut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah He's right. a very method guy. He walked in in the casting for The Terminator um, with, uh, he walked in and didn't speak <laughs> at all during the casting. Wow. Unless he was told, unless he was doing the lines and he had weird makeup on and freaked out the casting <laughs> director. In this movie, he decided he wanted to make his eyes a bit different, so yes. he spent his own money to make these contacts, oh, which right. were very expensive. And that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, Cameron said, no, go with your normal eyes, because it was inconsistent with Ash. Uh, and so he said, oh, I just paid for really expensive tipping winks. Um, but yeah, so but that's the whole thing he was. He was willing to pay for his own stuff. He was to, sure. to make the character work, and, yep. and always acquiesced to the director in the end. But um, the childlike sensibility he bought, yeah, it works. He, he's, yeah, yeah. He's, he reminds me of a friend, Dave. Hey, Dave. <laughs> Hi. Hi. <laughs> Dave was like, like Bishop, just always there and reliable, just cool. And bleeds white blood. Yes. Yes, he does. <laughs> um, Carrie Hine is Newt. Yeah, yeah. Child actor, uh, didn't never done any acting before. They had trouble casting her because the majority of kids who auditioned for movies did commercials. And yeah. They were always trained to smile at the end of every line. Yes. And they're trying to find a kid who did smile, and she was the first one who did that. And they, they got it, and she's a great... She's, she's pretty good. She's really mature. Yeah. She handles the lines really, really well. Yeah. Um, never acted again after that. Um, and looks very different now. Yeah, yeah, I was about uh, to say that, uh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, 
he's always had a history with that. Like the, the Edward Furlong for Terminator 2 was a kid that when the casting director saw him in the street, he told him to fuck off. <laughs> and she's like, I like your mozzie kid. And yeah, so he's never done an acting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he'd never done any acting before either. Yeah. So he's, he seems to be very good at working with kids that way. Yeah, yeah, unaffected yeah. Unaffected and, and, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, uh, Bill Paxton. Oh, we always man. About him. Yeah. William Hope played Lieutenant Gorman. You never really saw him in anything after that. No, I don't recall him in anything else. But like, yeah, he's he does what he needs to do in his film. <laughs> yeah, like he's a he redeems himself. I like I like that more. I yeah. mean, that's more. I guess that's more to do with the writing than that is his performance of it. Yeah, because it is down to the fact that he starts off as a weak character and and redeems himself by the end of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, character circumstance. He's not experienced enough. No. Um, and it seems to be a recurring theme in all war films that yeah. the grunts do the work and they don't have a lot of respect for the senior lieutenant. Yeah. And, and if you, they do have respect for him, like, he is one of the soldiers, he's going to die. <laughs> uh, um, Jeanette Goldstein as Vasquez, uh, she answered the ad in the actor's, what he called the acting thing in LA, to appear in a film called Aliens. Yeah. And she said, Oh, I'm Hispanic, even though she has a Jewish name. She thought it was a film about illegal immigrants. I never knew that. Yeah, she did. She wow. turned up and realised, oh, it's a sci-fi film. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and yeah, and had to buff herself up and train like crazy. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah. To, to, I liked her attitude, but she physically doesn't. She, she's the mother in Terminator 2. I was about to say that. And, and she, the she looks more like that in real life yes. than Vasquez because she had to wear contacts. She doesn't have dark eyes. Yeah, eyes okay. and all that. And so, yeah, it was a stretch for her. Yeah. Um, Character-wise. Yeah. She's in Near Dark as well, I think. From memory? Yeah, she is in New Dark. Which yeah. I still think is one of the best vampire films ever yes. made. Yes, anyway. I should get around to seeing that. <laughs> Al Matthews, the Sergeant Al Pone. Yeah, I'd, like, yeah, cigar chomping, kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger, predator wannabe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll go through the rest of the Marines, but I won't do that. No, no, no. But I, I was very impressed that I remembered their names. <laughs> <laughs> he says this, you're ripping a piece of paper. <laughs> I didn't look at their names at all. I really just them off without looking poor and testify. No, you that. can. Um, I can. So, yeah, that's the Aliens film. We could talk about how it all did very well and, and was a game changer. It, 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 it promised... It made Alien 3 a really tough act to follow. Yeah. It was made by David Fincher, who's a great filmmaker. Uh, awesome filmmaker. But he was 27 or 28 when he did Alien 3. Yep. So he wasn't ready. Um and the film suffered from studio interference because yeah. having one hit is one thing. Having two hits, yeah, of course, the studio right. is going to interfere. Yeah. Um, but it's a good example of giving a film a strong auteur yeah. and giving enough room to, to be himself. Mm. Both films. There is a, there is a cut, oh, um, and I might have to kind of cut my, my comment out <laughs> yeah. if I'm wrong, but there's a cut, um, I think it's called the assembly cut of Alien 3, which has surface which has become more highly praised because it fills in a lot of the blanks centers on the human character that goes a bit AWOL in it oh yeah um, and kind of follows his because essentially Alien 3's got two villains in it there's the human kind of yeah, character yeah. plus this xenomorph that's going yeah. nuts so it's kind of like a double oh. which kind of uh, from what I've heard people have praised that more so okay. than the original cut Right. So that does add something. Yeah, okay. Whether they're trying to clutch the straws, yeah. I don't know. Because these subsequent uh, films have been shit, to some degree. Yeah, look, I know, yeah, exactly. And, like, so, yeah, so even, I mean, Alien Resurrection, like, it, that again, that's great director. Mm, yeah. Jean-Pierre sure. Jean-Pierre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... Just written wrote the original script. Yes. I've got the original script at home. It's, it's really shit. 
I know, but just fans. <laughs> you know me, I'm a disciple of just fans. You are, yeah. I'm reading this game, what the hell is this? No. But, um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, there is, I've seen some great imagery from Alien Resurrection kind mm. of done up, which kind of really adds weight to the whole, like, again, to me, when you're seeing these pictures, you kind of go, yeah, I can imagine that. Why didn't use any of that? <laughs> um, but yeah, some kind of interesting kind of things that get thrown in the mix. But yeah, never repeated uh, the it, success of the original two. And in, in light of uh, Prometheus and Covenant, have you seen Covenant yet? No. Okay. But well, pretend I have. Okay. <laughs> but about to me, Covenant obviously goes a long way to, to try and right the wrongs of the previous films to try mm. and bring it back into into the centre. Yeah. Uh, for me, Covenant, if, they, if you haven't seen it, it's it's better than Prometheus. Yeah. I mean. Anything that's, that's, a, load, that's a loaded statement, but it is. But it isn't a great film by itself. Yeah, it just, right. it's just correcting the work that's been the damage that's been done from Prometheus. Right. Um, but it, it's it's interesting that this franchise now, each subsequent film now, it's like there's maybe like another three, isn't there, before we get. Yes, well, also there's the Predator crossovers as well. Do you count that as part of it? I never do. Yeah, but here's the thing. For me, how would you look going back through time? How would you like you know? I always do this. What ifs? Going back through time, how would you change the Star Wars prequels? Go back in time. How would you have done Alien Three? It's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I um, the prob- the problem with it is the genius of what Aliens did, mm. both uh, enhanced but also destroyed that universe. Because like you you've gone from this kind of like single kind of horror entity, you've expanded it by creating this uh, whole kind of genealogy of of who this alien race is, mm. um, you know, by creating the hive and the queen, and, mm. and this is how they come about. Where does one go from, from there? there? You can't because you've just you've literally thrown everything into that one basket to yeah. kind of like. So it's it's a. I don't know how to answer that one. Yeah. Because uh, where does one go to kind of create create it again, or mm. or you've got to think smart again about it, you know? Well, in theory, Prometheus um, tried to do that, I guess, by taking this mythology of the of the. Of the space jockey and following his culture yeah yeah um, and but the problem with that is there wasn't any xenomorph yeah <laughs> you know so like which is fine like you know but that's like it's like having to use the Star Wars thing again it's like doing a Star Wars film before Darth Vader's even around yeah 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 you know it's like, like yeah it's uh, here's some Jawas <laughs> <laughs> um, like you know, do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is. It's kind of like you're you're going back to and like yeah, get that you need to lay that seed for in order to Alien Covenant to begin. But from what I have heard and what I've read about Alien Covenant is that even that is almost retreading the groundwork of what has been before. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like the next one's going to be the one that Ridley Scott's got to be tested on in right. order for it to if if his grand vision is going to bear any fruit. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm, I'll be interested to see if how many people will actually pay who would be willing to pay to go and see another instalment yeah. of Ridley Scott's vision mm. because from again from what mm. having not seen mm. Alien Covenant yet like from my reading of it it's that it doesn't add anything really new to it it's just a retread of what we've seen before well it it, it answered a question you didn't realise needed to be asked right <laughs> that's the, the odd thing about it which could yeah. be cool like it can be cool um, but again, I can't say any more without giving it away. Sure. But um, so, from that point of view, Covenant could have been the third sequel. From that point of view, my yeah. thing at the time, based on the based on nineteen nineties me, nineteen late eighties me, yeah, it would have been the Alien Predator crossover. 
And just to see. But like, just see, I see, like, you see what where that's gone, and yeah, no, like, it's, shit. it's not yeah, like to me. It's, it's like like again, the same predator falls to the same victim. Mm. You know, the original predator film was so so good, mm. and again, you know, lends itself to the whole kind of Vietnam War kind of mm. analogy yeah. and stuff. Um, and then Predators takes that from you know the urban jungle to the concrete jungle, and I was like, yeah, that's actually a really clever way to take that story and enhance it upon mm. what's created. It does, it's not as good, no. um, but it was a really good way of, of taking it. And then obviously, what was the next? Well, next kind of solo Predator film was Predators, yeah. the Adrian Brody one. The Brody one, yeah. Which uh, oh, was such a disappointment. Yeah, it kind of had the, all the hallmarks of could have been something really, being cool. something really, really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like it's almost like they 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 can't break out of those two those two films that each of them have created. Yeah, right. Uh, and merging together, I think it's just a you know it's like the whole Freddy versus Jason thing that proved to be a waste of space. <laughs> so, like I don't know, like I think like it's 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 just a cash making kind of reason to try and yeah create these two successful franchises and make more money out of it by merging them together. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't work, you know. Like I just, I feel like. Do you like, think if you give it the challenge, you could find a way to make it work, or like? Are we talking Alien Predator? Alien Predator, yeah. If you're a filmmaker, you've been commissioned. But you've been given, you've been given like the problem, know, with, alien, the pro- problem with Alien versus Predator, right? The mm. concept of doing an Alien versus Predator film is is humans. Yeah, yeah. That's where the problem li- yeah, lies yeah, because yeah, yeah. you 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 got to include them in there. Yeah, and they're in the way. Like, you, but was it, <laughs> would that be the way you do it? You just do films from just, just Predators and Aliens. You just wanna, you just wanna be able to create. Yeah, you just want to be able to create a scenario where well, that's what people are wanting to see. They want to see a predator go head to head with an alien, yeah, or or a xenomorph, um, and see what comes out of it, you know, or or a race of predators against a race of xenomorphs mm-hmm. going at it. And the problem there was because the alien versus predator thing is that they had to have a good guy of. Either the alien or predator yeah. had to be kind of slightly <laughs> the hero, hero, yeah, and, yeah. They, and the predator was the one they chose. And I guess then, you know that makes sense. In, the, in if we're gonna if we're gonna lend weight to this uh, hypothetical kind of scenario, um, but that lends weight to the reason why they do that because of the end of Predators, uh, sorry, Predator Two, um, where there's that kind of recognition of a, of a fellow warrior. Kind of moment, so yeah, yeah, there is always there's already a connection between humans and predator and yeah. recognition of that. So yeah, okay, fine. The same thing kind of happened with Freddy versus Jason. Like there had to be one that was a good guy, a good almost like a good guy that yeah. you know. And you're just like, why? <laughs> why do you need to? Like evil is evil, you yeah. know. Like you know, or if we're going down that road, why do you have to have a bit of grey kind yeah. of thrown into the black and white? Was well, like for me, <laughs> King Kong versus Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. I, as a kid, I used to root for Godzilla, but they always make King Kong the hero. Yeah, and I'm like, what? Just because he's closer to us, because he's an ape. What the yeah, fuck? yeah. Um, and King Kong's American. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's just, you know, he's Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. So, um, yeah, okay. Yeah, so I don't know, like, but like, you know, maybe it's just like maybe you start with the humans, fuck them all over, they're dead, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then just follow it up from all right, because it, it okay. So if we're living in the jungle or. Uh, and I'm not meaning like the literal jungle. Yeah. Take the jungle as a uh, as a uh, anal- analogy of mm-hmm. of the terrain in which we're trying to place oneself, so it could be space or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the survival of the fittest or the survival of the best. That's so you kind of have to whittle these people down. And Alien vs Predator tried to do that, but it still kept the, the lone human. Yeah. 
there, which let's face it, we're a weaker species yeah, to yeah, these yeah. other races. Like that wouldn't. Mm. So like Predator has uh, um, the Predator and Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Battling out at the end, same kind of thing with Alien. It's you know Alien. There's Xenomorph and Ripley at the end facing off with each other. The trouble is when you introduce the third component to that triangle, yeah. it just throws everything out of whack. Yeah. Because yeah. you want to try and have all three. One of each of those three at the end. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't work. You know, you just got to. Yeah, it, yeah. I just. It would be great if. Do you know what? It, more so, it would be great if the predator and the uh, the xenomorph are fighting over the human because they want to. They like the predator wants to use the human as a trophy, and the mm. uh, xenomorph wants to use it to oh, yeah. breed. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the human becomes the pawn in their yeah. game yeah, of. Yeah. That's know, interesting. That would be maybe a wife. <laughs> Can't believe we're entertaining the idea of what. Oh, we are so pitch this. We are so gonna pitch this. Tusk came from out of this stuff like this. Oh, I know. <laughs> Look how great that was. <laughs> Fucking hell. That was hard work watching that one. Um, okay, well, I'm we're, probably gonna. We're at the four-hour mark now, so we should Woo! take a break. Yeah, I'm looking at the time. How much I'm gonna have to edit this out? None of it because it's all me. Yeah. All right. Well, that's fantastic. That's the end of this session of Surgeon and Tara. Yeah. Um, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, yeah. like I like it. I'm mean, like I said, like you know, technically not a horror per se, but it still has horror elements within it, and it was born out of a horror franchise. Yeah. And it's a nod to Cameron and the team, the effects team behind it. <laughs> it's one of the top ten seminal films of the eighties. Yeah, yeah, the eighties films. And I argue that no sequel has ever done no, anything I like this since. I don't think it has. Uh, Close run was Terminator Two. Yeah, playing enough. Yeah. But yeah, Godfather. Yeah, probably exactly, the other one yeah, you throw in there. But. Yeah, but no, no other film's done it, and um, even he, he don't, I don't think knew it was going to be this big. No. Um, but right. it's you know a great snapshot of a, of a filmmaker backing his own talent. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and it's a it's a fantastic film. He was he was beginning prep on this during the post of Terminator. Right. Okay. And uh, and then, yeah, so uh, yeah, he was a kid. Yeah. He kicked ass. He did. Um, so yeah, but that's uh, that's this podcast. You that's guys it. all think about what we've discussed and all the different points of missed. There's heaps of stuff we've been talking. Yeah, about. just send stuff thing. If you have anything else you want to add to it, obviously, uh, and our discussions that you feel like we may have missed or you want to kind of comment on, we are always around online. Just flick us off uh, some uh, messages or whatever, and we will uh, try and get back to you, or I'll, I'll get Ant to do it as my faithful assistant. <laughs> I'm, I'm just wrapping up my notes. Like you are. So thanks again for uh, tuning in to the uh, Citizens of Horror podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Once again, I am your uh, host, Paul Farrell. The and, Badger. And the Badger, Paul Farrell. And uh, the Big Cheese, Anthony Yee. Bye. Bye. You're listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Music supplied by Peter Nezik. For more discussions or podcasts, head over to surgeonsofhorror.com or head over to our Facebook and Twitter sites for the latest news and updates.